welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys. Uh, 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 uh. Toby and I. <laughs> All right, for those of you that are not watching, but are simply listening, uh, my, my little orange uh, cat, my, my, what I call our ginger ninja. <laughs> Hi, Toby Pajamas. All right, so Toby Pajamas, my cat, is uh, hanging out for this episode. Uh, he's just like lounging behind me, and he has like the loudest purr ever known to man. All right, before I go into that, let me, let me finish by saying, hi, <laughs> welcome to episode, I think it's 10, episode 10 of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> All right, so Toby Pajamas is, is sprawled out behind me, making, him, making himself right at friggin' home. Um, he's hysterical, this guy. But here's something, um, I don't know if you guys knew this. So there is, so as a yoga teacher or somebody in the spiritual world, you have probably heard of the tone or the sound or the name of the word OM, O-M, also sometimes spelled A-U-M. Okay. But in music, like with tones and frequencies on amplifiers, like literally like blah, 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 amplifiers, right? There's something called an OM, O-H-M. And cats are known, scientifically now proven, to purr at an ohm, O-H-M, frequency that is very healing for people. Did you guys know that? Isn't that wicked cool? Uh, so I just let my buddy, I have seven pets. For those of you who don't know, I have seven furry kids. <laughs> I have four dogs, two cats, and a bunny. And so this Ginger Ninja, he's, he's mental, you guys. I have never in my life uh, met a cat like Toby. He thinks he's a dog <laughs> and he's pretty uh, kooky. So anyways, I'm going to let him hang out with us. So it's the two of us. It's the Karen Kenny and Toby pajamas show today. <laughs> All right. Look at this. Look, this is what we're going to talk about you guys. So this past weekend, I had so much fun uh, being one of the keynote speakers, guest speakers, invited speakers, whatever you want to call it, uh, at my friend Amber, Lill Amber Lillistrom's um, Ignite Your Soul Summit event. It happens in Portsmouth at the Portsmouth Music Hall. Like over four, like 400 plus people came or something like that. Um, I think like 420 registered. No, like 400 and like, like 380 showed up or whatever. But that's a lot of people. Like just call it 400 even. 400 people came. And it was an incredible weekend. It's called Ignite Your Soul Summit. So you know we're not just sitting around talking about marketing and branding. There is some deep dive work happening. There were some incredible speakers, Kate Northrup and Rachel Camfield, and obviously Amber Lillistrom, Janine Staples, Karen Haysbert, um, Allison Bird, and Tara Romano performed, and Kelsey, I want to say Carpentier, but she spells it C-H. She performed Laura Thompson Bray. I mean, it was just like crazy, the talent and the like incredible women uh, and the impact that they had uh, on 
the audience and the incredible audience showed up with so much courage and commitment and compassion for each other. It was just like the most amazing experience. And so, um, you know, you only know, like, like if you weren't there, like you probably saw some snippets maybe on social media, uh, maybe, oh, now you want to go out? Oh my God, you guys. Go ahead, Toby. Go ahead, buddy. Um, so if you weren't there, like you didn't get to hear like what all the speakers were talking about and stuff like that. So somebody had asked me afterwards, they were like, oh my God, I wish, I wish so-and-so could have heard you. I wish my friend had come. I wish my mom was here, like to hear your message, whatever. And I was like, hey, so uh, I woke up this morning and I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll do a podcast episode, like kind of recapping some of the shit that I talked about, like while I was on the stage. And here's the fascinating thing is that um, I am always taking, I always say, I answer to one boss, God, I'm always taking my instructions. <laughs> okay, you guys, for those of you who are listening at home, Toby is on my lap right now and like you can't see anything like, but, but his tail sticking up like right in my face. It's the funniest thing. Um, so I'm like, I really just try to deeply listen and get my intuitive guidance for what to talk about. But I also like to do my part and prepare. So I'll write some notes down on a couple pieces of paper. Um, and then that's my intention. I set an intention, but then here's the thing. You got to serve who's in front of you. So I like to get a feel for the audience and, and how can I best serve? That's what I'm always saying to God and my spiritual team. Like, please use me. Please let me be helpful. Excuse me. So I'm like, okay. So uh, I went out there and I, I had some things I wanted to say. And I think, I mean, I went off script like I always do because something happens the spirit comes over me <laughs> and I just got to go with the flow. I step into the fearless flow of the moment and I just follow the vibe and I follow the groove that, that comes up. So this is kind of what happened. So um, I'm going to start off just like talking a little bit about like what I was saying. So I, first of all, I was asking people, and I think this is a really important thing, not just when you're at an event. Like, look, if you paid the money, like be in the fucking room, like be here now, be present, pay attention, shut off your phone. I mean, there's going to be, or silent, I should say your phone, because we are in a culture nowadays where you're going to want to take a picture. And thank God, like, here's the thing, like, it's so helpful to people who are on stage and stuff like that, when people in the audience are capturing moments, um, as long as it's not distracting, right? I'm not saying do this at a concert or at a lecture or whatever, but at this event, because um, Amba is a branding and, um, you know, business specialist, we expect that there's going to be hashtag you know, Ignite Your Soul Summit 2019 or whatever, uh, that there's going to be Insta stories, there's going to be posts on Facebook or whatever. So it can be really helpful because I'm a person, I don't actually do a lot of Insta stories. I barely do any. So you guys all, like the last four days have been giving me killer content. So thank you so much. <laughs> For those of you that were there and you snap like a picture or you, you make, you, some of you guys are making me the cutest little graphs of like things that I said, these little um, picture graphs and Oh my God. I, I just appreciate you guys so much because when I go up on stage, because I am just kind of tuning into what my spiritual team is dropping in my mind to say, I don't always remember what I said. And apparently I said something about skinny jeans. Like I don't, I didn't even have a recollection about it, but like my pants, I had to keep like pulling my pants up. Oh, 
God bless skinny jeans, especially when you're a girl who has like pretty thick, big, 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 beefy calves. You know what I'm saying? So I had to like keep pulling out my pants. And I guess at one point I was like, what the fuck with skinny jeans? And I didn't even remember saying it. So it was so funny. So it was kind of really fun to relive the experience like through your eyes. Okay. So I just want to say first and foremost, thank you so much for that. But so here is the thing. The happy I want to talk about is like when you're in the room, we, we want you to have. Now, this is whether or not you guys are in the room at an event or when you're in a conversation or relationship with a friend, a lover, a partner, your child, your employees, your, your employers, whatever it is, deep, generous listening. Like that was one of the first things I asked them. I was like, be here now, introduce yourself to each other, look around, like collectively be here because you're going to be leaning on each other for support this whole weekend. And then I was like, let's have some deep, generous listening. You know, I thought it was like wicked important. And so I just kind of like kicked it off and it was like, okay, so my friend Amber invited me here. I am here today because we have a problem. <laughs> We have a problem, people. And so I was like, sorry, Toby, I just scared him. <laughs> I was like, we have a problem. And I said to everybody, who here thinks you have a problem? And like a bunch of people in the audience, of course, like raised their hand. Who doesn't think they have a problem? And I was like, okay, cool, go. And I gave them like, I don't know, 90 seconds, two minutes to write down all the problems that they could think of. And it was so classic. I was like, of course, of course this would happen during my segment. It was like so funny. I was like, what are some of your problems? And I was like, just yell them out. And people are like yelling out their problems. This, you know, money, whatever the thing was. And then some woman yelled out, you know, like, oh, you, you told us to be transparent. You told us to be honest. So I'm just going to say menopause and dry vagina. And it was just like the most hysterical thing. Everybody was howling. It doesn't phase me at all. Like, there's really not much that shocks me or phases me much uh, in terms of like things like that. Um, I, I, there are still things in the world, obviously, uh, that people do horrendous and cruel and brutal things. And that always, you know, like, uh, like uh, hurts me. Uh, but this was wicked funny. So I said to her, okay, ma'am, I am right now blasting your dry vagina with love. And hopefully, you know, it was just like such a funny moment. But here's the whole thing. So I said to them, we all think we have these different problems, right? We can name them all. We can write down a list of all the problems that we think we have, but those are not your problems. So A Course in Miracles tells us, you guys, that we think we have a lot of different problems, but really we only have one. And that is that we believe, and I will put in quotations the bullshit story, <laughs> we believe that we are separate from God. We believe that we are separate from God's love. We believe we are separate from our source. We believe we are separate from love. I'm just saying the same thing in a lot of different ways. We believe that we're separate from our goodness, the light that we are, the innocence that we are, right? So we believe that. And as soon as we believe that, um, because we can't imagine that we could possibly be an extension of God. We can't believe that we could possibly be an extension of love because we've been keeping a tally for a wicked long time of all the ways we've blown it, all the ways we've screwed up, all the ways that we're not worthy or lovable or we're too this or not enough that. So it's really hard for us to comprehend. And then we also live within these bodies, right? Here in the illusion, in the dream as we call it, right? We believe that we're actually these bodies and these bodies are separate from each other never mind our source. So this whole bullshit backstory that we tell ourselves that we're separate from God. And as soon as we believe that we're separate from God, we're going to suffer, right? We actually become terrified. And I talk about it kind of like, like when a baby is born, like the baby has been in this most perfect environment. It's warm, it's fluid. You're just kind of floating. You're getting snacks from your mom when she's eating, right? And I'm not saying that every kid's 
um, gestation period inside their mom was perfect. But I'm just saying in general, right? They're just kind of in the womb, in the zone, hanging in the love zone, hanging out. And then all of a sudden they're like pushed out of the vagina and they're like, ah, like they're in the world and they start wailing because it's terrifying. When you believe that you're separate from your source, it's some scary shit, right? So here we are believing that. And so what I was trying to kind of convey to them was this sentiment, which is like, we got 99 problems, perhaps, but God ain't one. <laughs> we got 99 problems, but God ain't one. Uh, you know, if anything, that is the source of comfort and strength, um, security, sanity, all of the above. But if you don't have a relationship with the divine, it, like if you haven't consciously made a connection with the divine, and it was, so, let me just say this. Can I just tell you guys something? Um, this landed in me so deeply after I came off stage and throughout the day and throughout the weekend, so many people came up to me. And I mean, of course they were, you know, and I don't mean, of course they were saying nice things because I was so great, but like, of course people are nice. Like when you come off stage, almost nobody's going to come up to you and say, I hated that. Right. So people were coming up and they were saying the kindest, most just wonderful and incredible and humbling things. And I was doing my best to receive it because that's work that I'm still doing is trying to get better at receiving love. I can love like a motherfucker. I'm really good at loving, but receiving love is still a muscle that I'm building. So I was just trying to take it all in and just say thank you and receive it and really let it land in my hat. But so many folks came up to me, of course, telling me their own incredible and often tragic stories of things that had happened in their lives. And, and I was just trying to um, you know, pay reverence to and homage to and respect for what they were sharing with me in a very private and personal and brave moment. And, but so, so many of you said to me things, things like, I haven't thought of God in a really long time. I haven't talked to God in a really long time. It has been years since I prayed. It has been years since I let myself even let God into my life. And all these people were saying to me that they're making a commitment now to have a daily spiritual practice. They're making a commitment to even just being open again, to opening their heart and mind again to spirit, to the light of the world, to being the light of the world. And I just kept saying to them, you know, of course, the miracle says you are the light of the world. I think it says it somewhere in the Bible too. But of course, in miracles isn't a religion. There's no dogma. It's just some straight up love from like Jesus, right? Saying like, you are the light of the world. And so as these people were having a memory of themselves, it was so powerful and it touched me so deeply and it made me like weepy. It made me like weep with joy and happiness that somehow something that came out of my like, you know, like Boston mass, Lawrence mass, like blue collar kid mouth, something out of this you know, potty mouth of mine, um, invited them back home to the truth of themselves. And it's not about me. It's like I'm being used as a channel and a guide, right? I'm being used as a conduit. And I always say, like, God, please use me. So being used in service to helping people to find their way home back to themselves and the truth of themselves, that they are still connected to God. They have never left, that they are into eternity, into heaven where all is one. Like we never left God. And we believe it that we have though. We believe that we have. And out of that fear of believing that we were actually successful. So A Course in Miracles says basically, into eternity where all was one, there crept a tiny mad, meaning insane, a tiny mad idea. And it was this idea of separation that we could separate from source. And it says, it was a tiny mad idea and the son of God, if you want to say child or daughter, I don't care. The son of God forgot to laugh. It technically says, remembered not to laugh, which is the same thing of saying they forgot to laugh. 
So we had this crazy idea that we could somehow separate ourselves from our source and we fucking believed it. We chugged our own insane ego Kool-Aid and believing that we were so powerful that we could actually separate ourselves from God, which is just insane when you think about it. You know, and so I think of it like this, and I think I might have said this on another podcast episode. So think of it like, um, you know, the sun, if, if we're going to just do metaphors, right? Or um, what's the other word? Not metaphors, but whatever. Okay, we'll run with metaphors. So if God, if God were to be like the sun, we have the sun rays that shoot off from that source, that center. And we can feel like we're very far away. Like think about how far away the sun really is from the earth, but how the sun still lands upon the earth and walks the earth and touches the earth, right? And has impact on the earth. So we're so far away from our source, we sometimes forget, oh, we're just one of the rays, we're one of the extensions of. It's like a wave in the ocean, thinking that it's separate, separate from the whole ocean, the heartbeat of the ocean. A wave is just a singular, it believes itself to be singular, but the wave crashes on the beach, but then whoop, it gets sucked right back into the ocean, into the oneness. We never leave our source, right? The spokes on a bike tire, that center hub, that's the divine, and we shoot out, right, to the rim, to the rim of the circular circumference of the world. We're out on the world believing that we're actually there and forgetting that we're always tethered. You know, we're always tethered to the divine. And I think there's this concept of like, I think, what's that book? Michael Singer, I think, The Untethered Soul. Um, and I love, the, I love the feel of that concept of freedom. But I also like to remember that I am tethered to my God. I am connected to my source always. I can never leave. Okay, so I thought that was really an important thing to share with these people because I knew there'd be a lot of transformation going on and a lot of, like, here's the thing. I kind of described this weekend, like, um, on a cellular level, on a physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental level, it's like a fucking game of Tetris. You know, remember that game, that video game when all the little pieces would shift around and move? It's like when you're listening to these uh, speakers and when you're doing like, you know, Amber loves to dance and move. So there's like great music and there's journaling exercises and there's, you know, partner sharing and collective move. Like there's so many incredible things that were happening. And so literally your internal world is re shifting. It's recalibrating. It is like um, new synapses are being put in place. It's very powerful. Very powerful. Um, so you can feel a little like, ha, 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 ha. it's like a little thing. So just kind of getting ourselves grounded. And I said to them, like, you know, some big stuff is going to be going down this weekend, but just know that you're like not alone. You're not alone. You are, you are surrounded by your human angels. You are always in connection with your spiritual team who represent God's love and the memory of God's love. And you've got us, you've got the speakers. There's plenty of people in this room to support you. So it was really, really, really powerful. And so um, I always say, you think you're separate from God and his love, but you're not. But in the thinking of it, you can become terrified. And then you start to do really stupid shit. <laughs> so I was saying to them, okay, here's one of the ways that we kind of do this, right? So A Course in Miracles has this beautiful line that says, your task. Now, this is sometimes attributed to Rumi, but Rumi did not say this shit. It is literally in A Course in Miracles. It says this, your task is not to seek for love. Your task isn't to seek for love. And I always add in, because you don't have to go looking for the friggin' thing that you are. You are love. So you don't have to go look for it, okay? Your task is not to seek for love, but simply to seek and to find, and I always add in and remove, the barriers, the blocks, right, that you have built against your awareness of its presence. So your job isn't to go looking for love. Your job is actually to seek and to find the blocks and the barriers, all the ways that you are getting in the way of God's presence, of God's love's presence, of love's presence, of your spiritual team's presence, 
of your helpers who are always trying to help you, the flow of miracles. We're always trying to block them. So I gave them this very straight up advice. I said, look, you guys, you ready? You got a pen? You got a piece of paper? <laughs> Write this down because I'm going to tell you one of the most powerful things that you can do to help yourself to stop suffering, to help yourself get divine alignment. And those of you guys who know me, you know I'm like in, you know, getting aligned with the divine. I'm doing my little hand motion of stacking my arms in front of my face. That, that vertical kind of extension, head to hot to heaven, right? So to align with the divine, this is one of the things you gotta do. Okay, write this down, three words. And I basically just said, stop cock blocking God. <laughs> And it was so funny because after the fact, like a few people sent me a, a couple of clips and my beautiful friend, Tori Doobie, who's hysterical, sent me this little 15 second clip of me saying that. And it's like, you can hear the audience like erupt and some people are like laughing and some people are like, I'm like, I'm not sure how people are going to react when I say this, but my spiritual team, I said to them, are you sure we're saying this? And in my, they're like, yep, we're going to say it. I'm like, okay, buckle up, click, click, let's see what happens. And so I'm always like, I'm not responsible. I'm just kidding. I am responsible for everything that comes out of my mouth, but that was truly inspired. And people I know laugh at that. They're like, what, how could that be divinely inspired that you have such a potty mouth? I'm like, look, I don't know. God just, uh, this is just the way that I came through in this lifetime. And this is my assignment and I'm running with it, right? I'm not going to not do what God is having me do. So I say, stop clock, cock blocking God. And on Tori's video, you hear somebody, like you hear everybody laughing. And this one woman says in a really funny way, Jesus, like it was just so funny. And what I said to them, and I, and I was very clear about this because I'm never doing stuff for like shock value. Like that's, not, I'm not like a shock comedian where I'm trying to like repulse you and horrify you and, and be so cool by being so cutting edge. Like I'm never doing that. I am trying to cut through the bullshit noise in your head though. I am trying to be crystal clear and transparent about the ways that we get in our own way. And I love helping people get out of their own way. And so I explained to them, look, I go, it's like you dirty birdies, like you guys are going right to the sexual meaning. But there's another definition of cock blocking. And what it says is this, to aggressively get in the way and to prevent somebody from completing their goal or completing their mission. I'm going to say that again, to aggressively get in the way or to block or to prevent somebody from completing their goal and completing their mission. And not just casually, aggressively. So we aggressively get in our own way of healing. We aggressively get in our own way of peace. We aggressively get in our own way of happiness. And one of the most aggressive ways that we do this is by cock blocking God, is by believing that we're separate. So this is an old story that we have to rewrite. And so I was just kind of hitting them with a few things. Um, and like I said, I had written down some stuff on a paper and then it takes like this whole different direction. You know, and one of the other ways that, that we block, you know, that one of the other ways that we block is that, um, you know, well, first of all, we don't accept that, that peace and happiness is our birthright. There is a part of our mind, you guys, that actually thinks, who am I to be happy? Who am I to be abundant? Who am I to be, um, to, have, to have so much when other people suffer, right? We write all these different stories. I haven't earned it. I haven't deserved it. And that's a very much, um, please don't get mad when I say this, but it's a very Christian and kind of Catholic thing. Like I was raised as a Catholic kid. But I, I, there's this beautiful song. I love worship music, you know? And there's this beautiful song that I used to play. And I love this song. And I can listen to it freely because I understand the sentiment. I understand what she's saying. Um, There's actually, I think, a dude that originally wrote this song. But there's a line in there that says, um, I don't deserve it and I haven't earned it. 
Um, but still you give your love away. And she's talking about God. And here's the thing, you guys, I don't believe that we don't deserve God's love. I don't believe that we have to earn it. I don't think God is up there like, or like, I don't think of God as just being up there. I think God is within us, but there's no like judgmental God going like, you better do your time. You better fucking, you better suffer and you better follow all the commandments and you better do this or you're going to hell. Like that, that whole fire and brimstone bullshit stuff. I, I let that stuff go a long time ago. I know that happiness and peace is my divine inheritance. I know it is my natural birthright. I have no doubt about it. So if I'm not feeling happy and peaceful, it's because I, as A Course in Miracles will tell us, took a detour into fear. So this whole thing, when I was on stage, I'm just trying to invite them back home. I'm trying to invite them back home. And one of the things I was telling them is, is another one of the ways that we block or we prevent ourselves. Um, from being aware of love's ever abiding presence in our life is that we think we have to do everything alone. And I was talking about how when we were kids, when we were kids, we'd get in the car and we'd be like, we would like, if you were going out to the car, if you had siblings, if you're an only child, you probably didn't experience this as much. But when I was a little kid um, and I had siblings, we'd be getting into the car and inevitably somebody would write, would yell out shotgun. And when we're little kids, we love, oh my God, I just got so thirsty. Hold on. <laughs> Hi, Toby. I know, buddy. I'm excited too. So when we're little kids, we loved riding shotgun. We loved being in the passenger seat. But then at some point we, we hit a certain age and we're like, I can't wait till I'm an adult. I can't wait till nobody's telling me what to do. I can't wait till I'm driving the fucking car. Right? So we lose the desire to be riding shotgun. And I'm like, dude, you better let Jesus take the wheel. You better let something smarter than you drive. And, you know, the way that, and I'll, and I'll circle back to this. I'll circle back to this in a little bit about when did we give that up? Like, and I'm not talking, you don't play your part. You show up, you do your daily spiritual practices. You do deep, generous listening to your spiritual team. You get your instructions and you have the chutzpah, the balls, the, the courage like to follow through, be brave and get your instructions and then do them. And you guys, I have to do this every day. Like I always say, when God gives me an assignment, there's no way I'm not going to do it. No matter how scared I am, right? No matter how much I go like, oh, you want me to say what? Right? Like, oh, right. But I just do it. I just do it. I'm still in many ways riding shotgun, <laughs> but I have a wicked good driver. I have a wicked good driver. And we'll, we'll like circle back to that in a little good. And I always say, you gotta, you gotta let God drive the bus. Okay. And here's the other thing, you know, we think we have to do it alone. So we try to take control of everything. And when we're in control, what that really usually means is that your ego is in control, not spirit, not the voice for God, not the voice for love ego, which is the voice for fear. And of course, in miracles, it says, you know, the egos always speaks first and loudest. And I always add, and it's often wrong. It's almost always wrong because it's not coming from a place of true knowledge. It's coming from a place of history. It's coming from your past. It's coming from your fears. It's coming from what you've already known. So it's almost never coming from the present moment, whereas where the holy instant and the healing can actually happen. It's like dragging all your bullshit forward and then making an assessment based on what's happened in the past. And that's not really living. That's like living in the past or you're projecting into the future and you're making decisions out of fears of what you think you're going to happen. You're almost never just taking a moment to pause and get, get, ask for guidance from your spiritual team. That's a totally different way of living. And that's the invitation to what I'm talking about is showing up in that way. You know, of course, in miracles has a line that says something like, um, a healed mind. I could be getting this wrong, but it's some, it's something like this, like a healed mind uh, doesn't plan. It does not plan. 
And people always look at me like, you know, when a dog hears a funny sound, they like tilt their head like, huh? And so it doesn't mean that we don't plan, like you don't plan for the future. You don't have a will. You don't put money in the bank. You don't plan, you know, your schedule. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean when it says a healed mind does not plan, what, it's, what, what Jesus is really saying, or of course the miracle is really saying in that moment is a healed mind does not plan by itself. <laughs> it gets informed by something smarter than you. I always say, when smarty pants people are saying smarty pants things, I am smart enough to listen right? And my spiritual team is wicked spotty pants. I have some wicked spotty pants on my team. I'm telling you guys right now. Okay. So we believe we have to do everything alone. The ways that we learn to not do things alone, number one is we have daily spiritual practices. When I talk about daily spiritual practices, I'm not talking about just sitting down with your crystals and rubbing oils all over your body and lighting your Paul Salto or the San Palto. I can never, I can never for the love of God, I don't know why I can't remember what this little wooden stick is that you burn and swirl it around like sage, right? So people think like, oh, that's it. I did my practice. It's like, no, there's no God in that. How is there any God in that? Like looking at your shiny crystals and right here, I'm whole, like, I love crystals. I have crystals all over the place. I got this little piece of quartz that my beautiful friend Amber gave me. And then I have this beautiful piece of orange quartz that my friend, um, my friend Meg, Meg uh, Haynes gave to me, which I love. So they're just sitting right here. I love them. Look, I love that. I have deities and statues and pictures and shit that remind me of how holy I am all over the place. Um, but my spiritual practice would happen without those. So I always say they're like bonus. They're like the pretty things that make me feel nice. And they set the tone and they set a beautiful environment, but they are not necessary. My spiritual practice does not rely on them. My spiritual practice doesn't even rely on A Course in Miracles anymore, like the book, like physically. You know what I mean? It's like sitting, oh, it was just here. You know, so I have a lot of books and stuff like that, but they're not necessary for me to, because I'm already connected to my source. So it's not about doing all these different things. Those things are nice and they remind us and they're cool. But really the work is removing, becoming aware of how we build blocks, how we cock block God <laughs> and the presence of love in our life. Okay. Daily spiritual practices help us to sit down and tune in and attune to the frequency, fre frequency of who we really are, you guys. And so it's like building a relationship and women know how to do this really well. So I often ask this question at my retreats. I actually have a retreat coming up uh, on May 17th through the 19th here in New Hampshire, a little three day uh, fearless flow retreat. It's pretty amazing. You guys, if you want more info, like hit me up, we'll make that happen. But um, one of the things that I teach my spiritual mentoring clients and people at my retreats and stuff like that is um, building trust in the divine, because I understand a lot of people have a tricky relationship with God, but mostly we have a tricky relationship with quote unquote God. And look, insert your happy word here, call it whatever you want. I don't give a shit. I'm not really, I always say I'm not attached to what you call it. And excuse me, I understand that I should not be attached to anything <laughs> on some level, but I always say I'm not attached to what you call it. But I am a little attached to the fact that you have some sort of relationship with it. And whether you consider that your highest self, your personal power, God's source, goddess, the divine, Jesus, Buddha, I don't care what you call it, um, but I do hope that you have some connection to it because all of this is the memory of you and who you really are as an extension as a, as a child of God. I want you to remember that you are the light of the world because um, people who remember themselves in that divine way uh, tend to be more happy, more grounded, more compassionate, more loving and connected, more kind. And so happy people tend not to hurt people. Happy people tend not to hurt people, not, not on purpose anyways. You know what I mean? So this work is very deeply impersonal to me. 
So I like when people get a little skin in the game and all you're really trying to do with daily spiritual practice is uh, to quiet your mind so that, you know, Course in Miracles says the voice for God comes to the quiet mind. The voice for God comes to the quiet mind. And you can't hear because the voice for God doesn't shout like the ego does. You're right. Attack, defend, prove, right? And so this is what we're trying to do with spiritual practices. They teach us some discipline that turns into devotion right? Daily spiritual practices require determination, dedication, discipline, and devotion. It's discipline that turns into devotion. You do it in the beginning because you have to, but you start to ultimately do it because you want to, because it speaks to you. It calls to your soul. It calls to your heart. And you start to do it. And what it's doing is it's helping you to remember yourself, put back together the truth of yourself, which is that you're an extension of love. Okay. And so daily spiritual practices are like building a relationship. And how do you build any relationship? You sit down, you spend time together, you listen to each other. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So this is what we're doing when we set our asses down to pray, to get quiet, to contemplate, to meditate, to be present for what is. I am that. You are truth. That's it. You are the truth. The truth is, is that you are an extension of love. So here's the thing I was saying is we think we have to do everything alone. We're afraid to ask for help because we think it's weak, especially blue collar uh, New England kids. <laughs> we hate asking for help. We think it's so weak, a lot of us, right? So that's a muscle I had to, had to flex and learn to grow. I'm getting better at asking for help all the time and I love it. It makes me happy. I'm sure my mom is proud of me. Thank you, mom. <laughs> but here's the thing. So I was telling people this great story. And I'll wrap it up soon. I don't even know how freaking long I've been talking, but I know I, I have a call. I have a call I have to get on. But here's the thing. I was telling them this amazing story. So one of the things is, for those of you who know, if this is your first episode, you may not know this, but Wicked Short Version is, um, headline story, my mother was murdered violently and brutally. She was beaten to death when I was 12 years old. So my mother was murdered. Okay. Nobody in my family talked about it. So um, I was the kind of kid who had a very active and vivid curiosity. Um, I still do. I'm a grown kid who still has that very same proclivity. I love to know what the fuck is going on. I'm so curious about people. I love to mull and to muse as I'm trying to think who said that. Was that Flannery O'Connor? Um, man has to have like the gift of being able to like kind of stare stupidly at a thing <laughs> to be able to mull and to muse like why man does what he does. So I'm fascinated by why man does what he does. So all I knew is I had a dead mother. Nobody in my family was talking about it. It was on the TV, in the newspaper, on the radio, but yet I had no access to what was really going on. Nobody was explaining it to me, other than I knew that she, she was dead, that she was murdered, she had been killed. It was graphic, it was brutal, it was ugly. I found out some other details about that in a really inappropriate and uncomfortable and painful way. That is a story for another day. Um, but I just wanted to know like what the hell happened. So I ended up moving away. I ended up moving away from home um, when I was around 22. Um, after I left BU, I moved out to LA with my beautiful friend, Mani Saida. I love Mani. Uh, she's still in California. I'm back here now. I wish I was still in California a lot of the time. <laughs> I have that. I'm like, I'm you guys, I'm telling you, I got like a five-year plan. I'm getting out of here. I got to go someplace warm. I can only take so much. Um, but anyway, so um, one of the things is I knew I was a writer. I've always wanted to write. I started writing uh, when I was a kid. Probably, I think I started writing when I was like 13 years old. I was always writing stories and stuff as a kid. I, I was always writing, but I got serious about picking up a pen and journaling and getting some shit down when I was like around 12 years old. No, no big surprise when my mother died and I felt unseen and unheard and terrified and I had nobody to talk to. I had nobody to listen to me. Um, and uh, so I started writing in my journal. And so I started using my voice that way. 
Um, so I was like, okay, I had decided when I moved to California that I, I felt bad about leaving my mom behind. And so I was like, okay, I got to stop figuring out like what really happened that night. I knew I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a memoir about it. Um, and so I started doing some research. Okay. So I did a little research before I moved to California. I called up the DA who had um, had my mother's case. I went and talked to some of the few remaining detectives because this was like over 20, it's like around 20 years later I was doing this. So I was regular around 21, 22 when I first started doing this. And, um, and so I was like, okay, I want to find out some things. I talked with them and then I moved to California. And then I moved back like eight years later, I moved back to the East Coast and I ended up moving to New Hampshire. And I've been here ever since. And um, but one of the things that happened when I moved back is I was like, I really get, got to get down into the heart of what happened. I only know a little bit. And as my writing mentor, and I always point to his little earmuffs over here behind me because they're a, a nod to my writing mentor, Andre Debus III. Um, Andre always says, um, quoting somebody, I can't remember who it is. Like we, we, we know what happened, right? We know what happened. We have the facts, right? We have the court transcripts. I've seen it all. We know what happened, but like, what the hell happened? And since I couldn't ask the guy who, who killed my mom, uh, what happened because he then went on to kill himself um, before I had a chance to talk to him. I had to find other ways to find out what was going on. So when I moved back to New Hampshire, um, I was probably like 28, 29 maybe. And I reached out to the DA, the guy, he was the assistant dis district attorney at the time. Um, and then now he was the DA. And um, I called him and I asked him if he remembered me. And he said, of course, I remember you. Of course, I remember your mother's case. And um, we on the anniversary of my mother's death, which is May 7th, uh, she, was, she, she was killed May 7th, 1981. So um, on that anniversary date, this was in 98, um, I um, met him. We decided to meet at the spot where my mother's body had been found. Um, and that's really the place where I feel closest to my mom, like meaning, meaning like um, in terms of like if I was going to do it against the cemetery where she's quote unquote buried versus that place, um, that's the place I tend to go to first. Like, so on Mother's Day, I have these little rituals that I do. So this upcoming weekend, I think by the time this airs, it'll probably be past that, but um or around that time, but um, so on, on Mother's Day, that's what I always do, is I go down to Methuen, uh, Massachusetts, I go to the spot where her body was found, I hang out there for a little while, if it's nice out, right, and then I, I go to the grave, I go to the cemetery in North Andover where she's buried, and I, I hang out there, and I get to see my grandmother, and my uncle, and my cousins, and uh, my mom, there's like a little cluster of family members there, um, and then I often go to the MSPCA, <laughs> It's right across the street from where my mother was found. And that's a whole other story for another day. That's how I ended up being a bunny mom. That's why I ended up having a bunny. <laughs> I'll tell that story some other time. It's a pretty good one. But anyway, so that's what I do. So on this day, um, I met the guy um, at the spot where my mother was killed. And he walked me around. He was kind of telling me this is where she was found. This is what happened. Uh, and he handed me over his file case. And in the file case was all of his witness research, um, a bunch of stuff from the case. Uh, and it was fascinating. And it, it was like, I mean, it was one of those things, you guys, where I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. But you're also terrified about like what's in there. Like what am I going to read and stuff like that. Um, and inside there, he warned me that there was one picture of my mom. And I had asked him, um, I'd asked him if I could um, see the picture. And he was very hesitant to give it to me. And, and so he handed it to me. And it's a picture of my mother's body. You don't see any part of her flesh or skin. Um, my mom was found half naked from the waist down. Um, so like out of respect for her, they had covered her with a blanket. Um, and you know, where she was found is also right near a very busy highway. So they probably also didn't want probably people seeing her. 
Um, so I remember seeing the picture and it was my mother's body on the ground. She was already in rigor mortis. So her legs were still bent and she was like leaning kind of, her body was kind of leaning towards this fence outside the animal cemetery. And um, she was covered with a navy blue wool blanket. And I'll never forget looking at this picture. And in the picture, it is so sunny out. And all I can think of in this picture is, when I look at this picture is, um, she must be so hot under there. I wonder if she can breathe. And that was just something that just kept running through my mind as I, as I stood in this spot, like holding onto this picture, looking at it. And he was just watching me watch the picture. You know what I mean? And in the picture, um, it's so sunny and she's surrounded, her whole body is surrounded by all these little like yellow dandelions. And such, it's such a contrast, such a contrast of the brutality and the beauty that happens in this world and this human experience. And so I say to him, thank you so much for this picture, but there's got to be more. I, I, I would like to see the evidence of the case. Um, I'm writing a book and I, and I was telling him this. And um, the DA, like Kevin Mitchell, just looked at me and he said, Karen, like as a dad, like as a father, I just cannot in good conscience, like I could not live with myself if I let you see those things, if I gave them to you. And he said, they're so brutal. Like I just can't do it. And he saw my reaction, like my face got so flush and so red and I, I started to well up. And I'm not somebody who blushes, right? Things, I don't usually blush at things, but I was really, the reaction that I was having is I was so angry and I was so frustrated because I felt like I was being told no again. Like, this is my mother. I need to know what happens, right? And so um, he saw the look on my face and he saw me start to cry. And what he said to me was, he said, okay, look, I can't in good conscience show them to you. But I can, I can hook you up with, I can set you up with somebody who can. And so he called his friend over at the courthouse in Salem, Mass. And I always say it's so interesting, the place where they burned the witches, supposedly, right? They hung and burned the witches uh, for, for being strong and powerful women with a voice. And that's a whole other story for another day. Because um, I believe that has something to do with, um, you know, um, the beliefs of why a lot of people think how, how, how and why my mother got killed. I, I have my own theories, but it's a fascinating concept about how strong, strong, powerful women with strong, powerful voices, um, they, they try to quiet us in any way that they know how. And so he sets this up so that I can go see the evidence. And, and what, I, what, I, what, what happened is I went and saw it at that point. Um, and then I, I made a decision to go back and do it again like 13 years later. And, and here's the thing is because I said I did it the first time as a daughter. I did it the first time as a daughter to bear witness to what happened to my mother because she was really swept under the rug by my family. And they can say that that's not true for them. I'm talking about my own experience. It was like my mother literally disappeared overnight. And they say, they say there's this old saying that says you die twice. And it's like the first time is when they put you in the grave. The second time is when the last time they say your name. And like nobody was talking about my mother. So this was uh, about her legacy for me, and this was about bearing witness to her suffering and bearing witness to her life, not just her death. And so I went and saw the evidence the first time um, as a daughter, and the second time I went back and I wanted to do it as a writer. And the fascinating thing that happened for me is, you know, when my mother was first killed, when my mother was first mother, like murdered, I was like the only, per besides obviously my family, I was the only person I knew that had had a murder in their family. You just don't think that kind of shit ever going to happen to you. Uh, violence is, <gasps> it's a powerful thing what violence can exponentially do uh, to a family. Um, but you just don't think it's ever going to touch you until it does. And then, man, are you drinking a whole, like, you're, you're, you're getting a whole, like, you're in the fucking spin cycle. You're, like, in the, you're, like, in the washing machine in the dryer with the rocks. Like, it is a brutal experience. But, um, so anyways, um, he set it up so that I could go back and look at the evidence a second time. Oh, I know what I was saying. So at first, I didn't know anybody who had um, a murdered, fa murdered family member or somebody close to them. 
But something happened after that. You know how they say like when you're drinking beers, like don't go and pee because the first time you pee, you break the seal. Well, it was like my mother's murder broke the seal. And somehow over time, I became like a murder magnet. And there were like so many people in my life that ended up uh, like being in my life because of this. And so um, probably about 10 years, 10 years after my mother died, I was like in my 20s. Uh, I was living in California and I got a call from my ex-boyfriend who I was still very friendly with. And um, he said to me, um, I just want you to know that um, so-and-so, my childhood best friend, um, her, mom, her mom was just murdered. And so now here was my, my childhood best friend also having a murdered mother. And then further down the line, you know, I'm in California and I'm working, um, working with and for Marianne Williamson. And Marianne set me up on, um, in a relationship with somebody that she knew for a long time. And she thought that we would really like hit it off and get to know each other and, you know, uh, be able to understand and relate to each other. Uh, because his girlfriend who was pregnant with his child, uh, she was killed and stabbed at an ATM in, um, in LA and he lost both her and the baby. And so we dated for a while. That's a whole story for another day. Uh, cause he ended up being, um, pivotal in me becoming vegan. I've been vegan for 16 plus years now and he played a really big role in that. Um, and then I met a mentor, a male mentor of mine who became kind of like a dad figure. And he, one day after knowing each other for a little while, admitted to me or told me, um, that his son was in prison for killing somebody. And so you guys, it just didn't become, it wasn't weird to me anymore. I just had a series of people in my life who were affected by murder and violence and, um, became fascinating. So fast forward, I end up, uh, you know, marrying my sweetie, uh, my sweetie, Chris Lessa. And uh, one of the things that we could really relate to each other about is, you know, my mother was beaten to death and left to die on the side of a road uh, here in Massachusetts. Um, and his best friend, his best friend was beaten to death and left to die in the road in Los Angeles. Um, and so we had this kind of connective thread. So this is all, this is all pointing back to the whole, like one of the ways that we block God and God's love is that we think we have to do everything alone. And I'm trying to make a point. I'm ultimately going to make a point through all this about my spiritual team. I'm getting there. I swear. So I said to my sweetie, like, I have to go look, I, I have to go look at this evidence um, again. So this was like, this was probably like five years ago, you guys. So we're in like, what, 2019. So this is probably like 2013, 2014. I decide to, I reach out to the DA again. Uh, he sets it up again. Uh, so that I can go down. There's a new DA, but that guy is wicked cool. And he hooks me up with some people to put me in a room with all the evidence, right? So like, I'm right. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down uh, Massachusetts and look at the evidence. And I asked my sweetie, do you want to come with me? And because of, um, because of his own pain and suffering about the loss of his own friend, he didn't want to come and kind of hash all that stuff up. But really what he said to me was, first of all, he knew that I'm strong enough to do it by myself. Uh, he knows, he knows who I am. He knows who he married. <laughs> he knows who his wife is, uh, who his sweetie is. And he said, um, if you really want me to go, I'll go, but I really would rather not go. And he said, because I don't want to know or remember your mother that way. And that was a really valid point. Like I totally got that. And I didn't feel abandoned and I didn't feel like he wasn't being a good partner. I was like, I totally get that. And I know who I am too. And I know who walks beside me. You know, that's one of the most powerful things that A Course in Miracles says. It says, and it's the whole basis really of my business, of my spiritual mentoring is, and I, it's called fearless flow mentoring, uh, your story to your glory, right? And the fearless flow is really the, the heartbeat of fearless flow comes from this one quote from A Course in Miracles that says, if you knew who walked beside you on this way that you have chosen, fear would be impossible. If you knew who walked beside you on this way that you have chosen, fear would be impossible. 
and I know who walks beside me. So I knew I wasn't going to do this work alone. Just like when I step on a stage, I know that my mother comes with me. I know that my spiritual team comes with me. I know that God comes with me. I know that my ancestors come with me. I know that I am surrounded. Course in Miracles tells us in the last chapter, you know, God has placed his angels all around you. And I always say above and below in front and behind, left and right, because he would not leave you comfortless. He would not leave you comfortless. So I knew who went with me. Um, but I also was afraid, like, am I being crazy? Like, am I just traumatizing myself? Because I remember, I remember the evidence from last time. A part of my brain tried to protect, protect me because um, some of the pictures are really brutal, really graphic, and really fucking hard to look at. I'm not going to lie. Pictures of my mother at the crime scene pictures of her blood, pictures of her on the morgue table. Like this is legit, really hardcore work to be doing. And so I knew, I knew uh, what I was getting myself back into, right? But this time I'm doing it as a writer for my book and I want to make sure that I get it right, that I get the details right. So as I'm in the car, it's like seven o'clock in the morning, I'm driving down to Salem, Mass, you know, it's touch and go traffic on 93, you know, 495 heading down there. And it's like, you know, you know how it is in traffic, like you pull up into a car and then you back away and then you pull up to a car bumper and you back away and then you're up to the bumper and you back away and I'm doing this. And the whole time I'm saying to my spiritual team, like, am I out of my fucking mind? Like, what am I doing? Like, why am I putting myself through this? Like, you guys, seriously, am I crazy? And who here, like if you're at home, you could raise your hand, give me an amen. Like who here has done this? Guys, I need a sign. God, give me a sign. Lord, help me. Spiritual team, whatever you call it, give me a sign, right? I call them universal signs. <laughs> and they're always available to us. People were like, oh my God, my spiritual team has been giving me so many signs. And I always chuckle and say, no, they're always giving you signs. It's just that you're now paying better attention. <laughs> so here I was and I'm like, guys, give me a sign. Should I be going to look at this evidence? Should I be going to do this? Help a sister out. And I'm touch and go, touch and go. And I pull up to this bumper and I see this license plate in front of me. And I'm like, no fucking way. And I'm like, I must be going crazy. And then the car pulls up and I'm like, no, I didn't just see that. And then I pull up again and I see the bumper plate again, like this the license plate again. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And so I whip out my phone and I'm trying to take a picture of it like while I'm in driving. And I'm like literally going like three miles an hour, not even. And so I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe what this license plate says in front of me. And so if you were in the audience, what I, was, I said is like, what did the plate say? What did the license plate say? And everybody starts calling out at the event. Everybody's calling out, do it, love, yes. Like all these things. And I'm like, no, you guys, I shit you not. And I have the picture on my phone if anybody ever needs to see it. <laughs> I'm like, but I pull up to the car in front of me and the license plate says this, you guys. It says, evidence. Yes, that's what it says. It says literally evidence. And I'm like, what? No. And this is how I know. This is how I know I am never alone. This is how I know I am always being held in the soft palm of the beloved. This is how I know that my team is always on the job. My spiritual team always has my back. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed. And it gave me the strength and the power to go and do difficult things. Because I know that I do not walk alone. I know that I have a divine and holy purpose. We all do. It's not just me. I'm not special. That's what I'm trying to lay down. I want you to pick up what I'm putting down, that you too 
You too are the light of the world. You too have a spiritual team. You too are always being held in the soft palm of the beloved. But if you don't develop a relationship with this truth, if you don't do it, and I don't care how you do it, you've got to have your own way. I'm not telling you to do it my way. But I do want you to know the truth of yourself. Because if you do, you will start to show up really differently in the world. You will start to get your divine assignment and you will start to live it. You won't be afraid to use your voice. You won't be afraid to take a stand. You won't be afraid to do what you came here to do. And the one thing I kept saying this weekend is God, like the world needs help and God sent you. And I know the Course of Miracles people are going to lose their mind about their fra that phrase, but look, I stand in that. Like I love, I love the, the symbol, like the symbology, the symbolism of that right? The world needs help and God sent you. We got shit to do while we're here. And one of the things that I came here to do is I've got to write this book. I've got to finish this memoir. And when I saw that evidence thing, I mean, I just laughed and laughed and laughed, but it gave me the power to go into that room. It gave me the power to sit down and to look at those pictures once again. And the people there were so kind to me and they put the pictures in an order of like easy to difficult, just like my, 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 my ex-boyfriend who went with me the first time, he did the same thing out of so much kindness. That's a story for another day. Okay. And uh, some of them he put in a special envelope and he's like, I don't know if you want to see these. And so I chose, there were a couple that I chose not to see because they're basically not to be too graphic, but you know, they're pictures of my mother on the morgue table with, with pots of her skull, you know, like when they do the autopsy, you know how, what they do. Right. And I didn't need to see those. It was already brutal and violent enough. You know, my mother was beaten to death beyond recognition. It was terrible. So uh, when I went in there, I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into, but like you forget, like, you know, and there's like plastic evidence bags with like her, her torn pantyhose and um, you know, my mother wore a, dent a denture plate. So like I was holding and it was cracked when he hit her so hot, he cracked it in half. So I was like holding pots of my mother's smile in my hands and her pubic hair and, and the cotton swab from the rape test, you know, the kit. And it was just like really, really intense, but I did not go in there alone. And, and this is the knowing that I want all my brothers and sisters to have. I want you guys to move through the world knowing who walks beside you on this way that you have chosen. And the more that we do this, the less we'll take detours into fear. The more kind and compassionate and loving we'll be to each other because we will start to recognize the divine spark in each of us and in animals. Animals, you guys, are also our brothers and sisters. They're not food. <laughs> They're our friends. You know what I'm saying? And so there's so many things. Another way that we cock block, another way that we get stuck is we um, get stuck in our old stories. And that's why I do the work that I do, is I help people through divine alchemy, through the holy instant, through healing, we transform. We know this. You change your mind, you change your life. You change your stories, you change your life. We transform your story into your glory. It's one of my favorite things to do. Right? It's such powerful work. We make a shift from fear to love in our mind. And that's the true miracle, is the shift uh, of fear to love. Hi, Toby. I know, buddy. You're doing great. Thank you so much. I know. And another one of the ways that we block, uh, we block uh, our own happiness is like, basically, I always say to people, if you're not feeling happy, uh, sit down and take a look at um, who and what you are not forgiving in your life. You know, Course in Miracles tells us, I think it's lesson 121, that uh, um, forgiveness is the key to happiness. I believe this. I know this to be a total, 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 total fact and truth. <laughs> for me, anyways, it's the truth for me. Um, so look, I went on to tell a couple of the stories. Like I did this whole thing. It was like fantastic. But, but here's the thing. We stay stuck in our stories. Um, we have an identification problem. We forget who we are. 
And one of the things I always tell people is, you know, we have an identification and a purpose problem. And people are always like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I always say, I'm going to make this really easy for you. Here's the thing. Who you are, who you are, your identity. It's not this body. It's not this meat puppet. Who you really are is love. That's it. You're a child of God. You are love. You are an extension of the greatest and most divine and holy love that there is, okay? All you are is love. And if all you are is love, then your only job is to extend that love. That's it. And I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you do it, right? You often will hear me say like, you know, if you're going to do it as a mom or a parent, as a teacher, as a coach, as a, a, an athlete, as somebody who does like um, um, nonprofit work, you do rescue work for animals. I don't care how you extend that love. If you trade on Wall Street, whatever it is. And I, and I often say, if you're going to be a janitor, you better be the best fucking janitor this planet has ever seen. Like be fully there, like fully do the thing. Show up with reverence and respect right, for the job at hand. Have some integrity. Because what you're really doing through your job is you're loving people. And the only gig here really is to get better at giving and receiving love, is to remembering who you are so that you can go home to the truth of yourself. <laughs> so you stop with the blocks and the barriers. Do you hear what I'm saying, my friends? <laughs> Ooh, hi, Toby. We've been going at this a long time. All right, let's wrap this sucker up. So here you are, you guys. I'm just giving you the recap of the event, the Ignite Your Soul Summit. Uh, it was really, really, really incredible. Uh, one of the things that I said, and I, I would be remiss not to say it here because a lot of people um, responded to this. Uh, one of the things I say is like, when you know who you are, when, know who, when you know that you are nothing but love, and so you're going to show up as love, you start to move through the world differently. And I said, what if we move through the world as if we had nothing to attack, defend, or prove? What if we move through the world as if we had nothing to attack, defend, or prove? We would show up really differently, you guys. And it's really important. And I said a couple of other things. I'm just like searching my brain and I'm just repeating them because again, like I said, they kind of landed in people and um, not to, nothing to attack, defend or prove. And I can't remember the other thing. Let me look it up really quick. See if I can find it because if I can, then I can be helpful um, and see what if we move through the world with nothing to attack, defend or prove. And then what was the other one? Boop, boop, boop. Okay. Bear with me. I swear to God, I'm going to make this one quick. Oh yeah. Oh no. I'm going to say, I'm not going to tell you this one because I'm saving this for a whole different episode. It's about button pushes. <laughs> if you were at the event, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to save that one. All right, you guys. So I'm going to wrap this up here. Okay. We got 99 problems. Maybe we think, but God ain't one. We really only have one problem. It's not God. It's us. It's our thinking. It's the quality of our thoughts, of our mind and believing that we are somehow separate from God. That's the only problem that we ever need solve is that belief. And the way that we overcome that belief is we choose a different teacher. We stop choosing the voice of the ego and we start choosing the voice of spirit. We go home to the truth of who we are. And I, and I, and I always end, well, I start my day and I end my day with this prayer. It's from A Course in Miracles. And I've just tweaked it a tiny bit, changed the order of it a little bit. Um, um, and this is how I basically ended it. I said, um, I always ask this, right? I'm talking to my spiritual team. I'm talking to God. I'm talking to Jesus, right? Please have me go where you would have me go. This is from A Course in Miracles. This part is from A Course in Miracles, not the ending. <laughs> have me go where you would have me go. Have me do what you would have me do. Have me say what you would have me say. And to whom? Please use me. Please use me. Please use me. Thy will be done, not mine. 
because if I'm driving the bus, we're fucked. <laughs> so you guys take your hands off the wheel ride shotgun let the divine drive for a little while take your instructions daily spiritual practices get closer to your source remember your source you have never left your source into eternity where all was one crept a tiny mad idea and the son of god forgot to laugh keep your sense of humor about this stuff you guys i swear to god it's so important that you keep your sense of humor about this being human stuff you know, being, being here is hard, but it doesn't have to be like so fucking hard. We make it so hard, right? It's not that hard things don't happen, but we don't have to make it so hard, especially because we don't have to do it alone. Friends, family, um, your spiritual team, your human angels, right? The divine is always with you. Uh, and I want you to remember that so much. I want you to remember that so much. Like this is my life's work right here. <laughs> I'm on fire. Somebody said to me, you are on fire for God. And I'm like, it is true. I am. I'm on fire for the love of God. And I'm on fire for the love of my brothers and sisters. And I just want you to know yourself as you really are. And a lot of us already do. A lot of us are waking up. A lot of us are remembering. And a lot of us are coming home. But we don't get to heaven. I always say, we don't get to go to heaven alone. We don't go home alone. As Ram Dass says, and I must say this every episode, right? Because it's so important. Um, we're all just walking each other home. This is a journey in the path that we're on. We're not doing it alone. So stop cock blocking God. <laughs> Do your spiritual practices. Know that you're loved and be the love. You are the light of the world. So shine, baby, shine. All right, you guys, I love you so much. I see you. I celebrate you. I appreciate you. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. you guys thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the karen kenny show <laughs> i super duper appreciate your time friendship and support and look if something that i shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours i'd love to hear about it so please tag me on facebook or instagram or ig stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. -E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you wanna hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.